Uh, most of you will know that my, uh, my youngest daughter is called Kristen. Uh, she's actually Kristen Zoe Dunlop. And this morning I want to talk about Zoe. And during December and as a kind of Advent series, we as a church have been looking at this 26-word parade of hope. John 3:16, And so far we've considered three dimensions of this verse. We've looked at how it forces us to consider the daunting prospect of perishing. Because according to Jesus, it seems that some will. And so we have taken some time to reflect on what is a difficult subject. The subject of hell. And the second dimension we looked at was the love aspect of this verse. For God so loved We thought about how God's love is actually a giving love. And therefore, Christmas is that time of year whenever we remember the fact that God so loved us that he gave his most precious gift to humanity. And then last Sunday morning, we looked at the belief dimension that whoever believes shall not perish. That whoever depends on, we said, whoever leans back, Whoever trusts in Jesus will be rescued and therefore will not have to face the harrowing prospect of hell. And now this morning we come to the fourth component, the Zoe dimension. Because this is the Greek word for life. And in the Greek New Testament it has a very special meaning. It speaks of the life, the quality of life the vitality of life that has been given by God to those who do believe. In other words, whoever believes in God's one and only Son will have eternal life, will have Zoe life. So I'm not going to talk about my youngest daughter, for those who are slightly concerned. Uh, But I am going to look at this Zoe life that Jesus came to give to everyone who believes. On one occasion, and this is such a well-known phrase, Jesus explicitly expressed why he had come to earth. He says, I have come, so there's Christmas, I have come that they, that you, that I, may have life and have it to the full. That is Zoe life. That is life intensive. That is life as God has it. You see, whenever God created humanity, he breathed life into us. So Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And as a result of that, man became a living being. So Adam and Eve were fully alive. But potential death just lay around the corner. You must not eat. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it you will surely die. Now why God put that tree there in the first place is beyond me. Why God did you do that? And maybe as some have suggested it was to remind humanity who created who. But the fact is that whenever we attempt to swap rules with God, whenever we attempt to tell God what we can and cannot eat, what we can and cannot think, what we can and cannot say or do or control or hurt or demand, the result is we die. 
And we die a couple of deaths, just like Adam and Eve did. They died physically eventually, and they died spiritually immediately. And whenever they made that decision to go their own way, in other words, whenever they made the decision to hear God's heart, God had chosen to share his heart with Adam and Eve. But whenever they made the choice to hear God's heart and then ignore it, to sin, in other words, yes, they kept breathing, their bodies kept functioning, or at least for the time being, but the minute they did that, their hearts hardened immediately. Their friendship, their close connection with their maker died. And from that moment, everything changed. God's presence stirred panic instead of bringing peace. And so they hid. Intimacy ceased. Separation began. And every one of us live in the wake of that event. We're born less than fully alive. And Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. And as Max Licato writes, we have loitered outside the gates ever since. And deep within us, all of us know or we have known something's not right. We feel disconnected. And what we hope will bring us life, life as it was meant to be, well, it only does to a limited extent. And so whether that's a career for you, whether it's an interest, whether it's a hobby, whether it's something new, like a new car, a new house, a new human relationship, you fill in the blanks. But ultimately, true, genuine fulfillment, life in all its fullness, Zoe life, the life we were created to live, it remains elusive, just out of our grasp. And people then turn to other alternative life givers, but all of them are nothing more than poorly disguised longings for Eden. And then into our world and into our lostness and into our confusion and into our darkness, which is what this time of year is all about, steps Jesus with the offer of a reconnection. Remember the context of John 3.16? That Jesus said it during a conversation with a guy called Nicodemus. When he told this Pharisee, this Jewish leader, about the need to be born again. And he explained that this rebirth, this rediscovery of life as it was meant to be, was a God thing. A couple of chapters earlier when John was writing about the word becoming flesh. It's words we've read during this Christmas season. He actually speaks about the rebirth that Jesus came to offer us, the rediscovery of life that we can find in Jesus. This is not a physical birth. It doesn't result, John says, from human passion. It doesn't result from a human plan. This rebirth comes from God. It's a God thing. And how exactly does it come from God? Well, John then answers that question later in the New Testament when he says, everyone who believes in God, is born, who believes that Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. You see, whenever we believe, whenever we lean back, whenever we trust Jesus, God rebreathes life, Zoe life in the flatland lives. God reinstates us to our Garden of Eden status. No longer spiritually dead, but back to life. Fully alive. Walking with God as opposed to hiding from God. Reconnected to God as opposed to disconnected and separated. Kingdom dwellers as opposed to banished 
onlookers. And so the question I really want to ask you this morning is this. Are you living a Zoe life? Are you living life as it was meant to be lived? Are you living life in all its fullness, abundant life? Or are you simply existing? Seven years ago, uh, I was sitting with a bunch of young people on a Friday night. And one of the young guys who, who led praise at the youth group, he stood up and he came out with a sentence. It was just one statement. And then, and then we sang a few songs, and I have no clue what songs we sang, because his one sentence grabbed me. And I wrote it down at the time, and I've revisited it so many times. The proper function of a man is to live not to exist and during that same week there was a song in the church called Alive it's by a band called POD here's some of the lyrics I feel so alive for the very first time I can't deny you sunshine upon my face a new song for me to sing tell the world how I feel inside even though it might cost me everything now that I know you I could never turn my back away. Now that I see you, I could never look away. Now that I see you, I believe no matter what they say, I feel so alive for the first time and I think I can fly. And whenever MTV interviewed the band members of PAOD, the guy who was interviewing them asked them this question, Alive definitely has a very positive message. The chorus, I feel so alive for the first time, sounds like an awakening. Here's how one of the band replied. If you can remember one thing that brings you alive and that wakes you up, for me it's my faith. It's my belief in God. Because once I know this love, no matter what I go through, I can always hold on to that to give me the joy and to give me hope. It is one of our most uplifting songs. So back to our question, are you alive this morning? Or are you simply existing? Have you discovered, have you experienced Zoe life? And in the time left, what I'd like to do, really quickly, is look at just seven aspects of this quality of life that God so loved the world that Jesus came to give. And we're going to just spend our time looking in John's Gospel. Uh, So if you have a copy of it and you want to flick back and forward to keep you awake, because it is the day after two days of doing very little apart from eating lots, Uh, then that would be great. But if you also do just want to sleep, that's your call. Okay, so seven aspects of this Zoe life. And the first is that Zoe life is found in Christ. You know, last Sunday night at our carol service, we reflected on the one symbol or on one of the symbols that dominates the Advent and Christmas season, and that is light. And we specifically looked at this verse from the prologue of John, in him. In other words, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Light and life to all he brings, we sang on Christmas morning. And whenever Jesus was comforting his disciples, having just told them he was leaving, he said this, I am the life. We've also sang that this morning as part of that song, All My Days. We have sang that Jesus is the life. He's also the truth and he also is the way. But he said, I am the life. In other words, eternal life, everlasting life, Zoe life 
is Christ's life. He provides it. It's found, it's located in him. And therefore, whenever you search in every other place for real life, which lots of us do, lots of our society does, perfectly understandable. But whenever you search in other places for Zoe life, you're going to be left feeling slightly deflated and unfulfilled. Nothing and no one else will ever or can ever fully quench your thirst, satisfy your hunger. That's because life, the quality of life we were created to enjoy, is only found in Christ. Secondly, this life is a gift. It's a supernatural gift. We don't possess it naturally. We receive it. We embrace it. In John 10, whenever Jesus was engaging with a a group of anxious Jews who were really quite concerned, frustrated, didn't quite get his identity, he made reference to those who would follow him, and he called them his sheep. And this is what he said, I give them eternal life. I give them Zoe life. And they shall never perish. In other words, you can't earn this, you can't buy this, you can't win this, you just got to accept it. So Zoe life is found in Christ and it's a gift. Thirdly, it comes via the words of Christ. In John 6, there's that really interesting moment whenever a group of disciples realized, you know something? Following Jesus is hard. And the teaching of Jesus, it's really challenging. And as they reflect on how hard it is to follow Jesus and how challenging and stretching his teaching is, they decide, you know something? No, it's not for us. So they bail out and they walk away. And Jesus is left wondering, well, what about the other 12? And he actually asks them, what about you guys? And then one of them speaks up, and it's no surprise as to who. And Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, Jesus spoke words of life, and Peter knew that. And Jesus himself explicitly stated it earlier in John chapter 6. The words I have spoken to you are what? They are life. And that's why we as a church, and that's why churches up and down the country and across our world continue to speak and communicate and share the words of Jesus as are recorded in here. That's why we do it week in and week out. Because these words, not my words, Not this church's words, but these words, which are Christ's words, they are the things that bring life. And I know there is a real temptation to head off script, that even as a church, to speak our own words and to share our own thoughts, to minimize reference to this, and there's a real temptation to do that. Especially whenever we now find ourselves existing within what's referred to as a non-book culture. People can no longer engage with books the way they once did according to some so therefore let's ditch this but we can't do that because it's in here that we find words of life why do we find words of life in there because they're Christ's words eternal life Zoe life comes to us through the word of Christ fourthly it comes now eternal life is not just some future experience it's a current experience In John 5, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words, whoever believes, has, not will have, has eternal life. It's not something you wait for in the next life. It's something you possess. It's something you experience in the here and the now. Fifth, it's relational. 
It's about being in relationship with the God of this universe. In John 17, we find that amazing final prayer of Jesus. And right at the beginning of that amazing final prayer of Jesus, he says this. This is eternal life. So here's it defined by the one whose words are life. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that you may know my Father. That you may know me, Jesus whom the Father has sent. You see, eternal life, life to the full, Zoe life is an intimate, personal knowledge of God. It's a conscious knowing and relating to the Father. I know we say it so many times, but Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a reconnected relationship with the God who wants to be known. The sick thing about Zoe life is that once it starts, it never ends. And not even our own inevitable death can interrupt it. As Jesus comforted two sisters following the death of their brother, he said these words, which we often read at funerals, and so we should. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then I love the way he finishes that. He just says, do you believe this? Because it's a great question. Do we believe it? I mean, honestly, do we believe that we will never die? The idea of life after death is still one of the most intriguing, isn't it? What actually happens when we die is a fascinating issue. But for those of us who are Christians, the simple answer, the only answer I can give you as to what happens after we die is this, we live. I love that thought. After we die, we live, or we keep on living. Death, as Bob Dylan, I think it was, sang, is not the end. It's not the end of Zoe life. And the key to understanding that, the key to getting your head round that whole idea is... A recognition of the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus makes the point that if you believe in him, we will live even though we die. You know, if anybody else had said it, we'd think they were mad. Or at the very least, we'd think they were slightly deluded. But because Jesus said it, the one who had been there and done that, that means that we can have confidence that as a result of our belief in him, we then will never die. You see, we can trust Jesus to replace death with life because... He's been there. Question again, do you believe that? Do we believe that? He's been dead and buried. And as someone has provocatively stated, you and I haven't. None of us have yet. But we will. And since one out of one dies, we all will. Therefore, isn't it a good idea to know someone who has found a way out? Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, promises that if we live in him and if we believe in him, that we will never die. And therefore, that question that Jesus asked to Mary and Martha in Bethany is the same question I believe that Jesus asked to us in Belfast. Do we actually believe that? Or are we embarrassed to say that we believe we will never die? Zoe life never ends. And therefore we have hope. So we read these words. God has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's destroyed death. And so through the good news, he has showed us the way to have a life that cannot be destroyed. Zoe life can never be destroyed. 
And so as we finish this morning, the seventh and the final thing I want to say about this relates to the long-term context of that interrupted life that Jesus promises. So where does this uninterrupted life that isn't even interrupted by our physical death, where does it actually happen? Well, three weeks ago as we looked at that one negative word, perish, we considered the final destination of all those who don't believe. And therefore, this morning we end by looking at the final destination of all those who do believe. And as many of you know, I don't find that easy to say. But for those who do believe, who depend, who lean back, who trust in Jesus, our ultimate destination is heaven. Now what immediately comes to mind whenever you think of heaven? What immediately comes to mind whenever you think about the prospect of being there forever? Gary Larson, who does the Far Side cartoons, he depicts heaven like this, a winged man, Seated in heaven on a cloud, there's no one else about, there's nothing to do. He's marooned on his celestial post, and the caption below it reads, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Do you know, I do think we have a relatively low view of heaven. The two things I find that most people think about heaven are white and singing. And if your favorite color is not white and you hate singing, then the prospect of forever there is not something that really attracts. Isaac Asimov wrote this, whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Now this is not a a sermon about the nature and the makeup of heaven. But whenever we read John 3.16, which we've been doing for the last four services, except last Sunday evening, but we are taken to that place. We're taken there in our thinking as we consider this idea of eternal life in a somewhere. A place. And maybe that's as much as I need to say about heaven as we close. Because Jesus made the point on one occasion that he was going to do what? That he was going to prepare a place for us. Somewhere tangible, somewhere touchable, somewhere real, somewhere where we can be. Somewhere where, yes, wolves lie down with lambs, where tears are wiped away, where death never intrudes, where sorrow is gone, and where every negative experience is eradicated. And all I know is this about heaven. We will serve, we will feast, and therefore an answer to the question that one little kid asked me at the start of the service who's got a loose tooth. And he knew we'd be speaking about heaven this morning. He asked me, will we have teeth in heaven? And so I want someone to tell them that I actually think we will. Because how else do you eat? Okay? It's just the way God made us. It's the way God designed us. We will serve. We will feast. And we will love it. Absolutely love it. John 3.16 God loves. God gives. We believe. We live. We live A Zoe life. A life that's found in Christ. A life that's a gift. A life that comes via the words of Christ. A life that starts now. A life that's relational. A life that is uninterrupted by our physical death. And a life in a place beyond our wildest dreams. And my prayer on this last Sunday of 2009 is that every single person sitting in this church has embraced or will embrace Zoe life. And back to the POD song. 
I pray that you will feel alive maybe this morning for the first time to the point where you even maybe think you could fly.